Hi, my name is Pasha Marlowe, and this is the Let Pleasure Be the Measure podcast. We are going to have so much fun together. I hope that our conversations about pleasure light you up. And I hope they inspire you to reclaim your desires and create more space in your day to bring pleasure into your work, your family life, and yes, even your sex life. We will practice and explore the art of pleasure together. Let's play. Hello, everybody. I'm Pasha Marlowe, and this is the Let Pleasure Be the Measure podcast. Okay, every once in a while, I just start figuring out who would be really good for my growth and expansion, not just as a woman, but as a professional and as this pleasure expert now. And the top of my list of people who I would just drool over and beg to have on my up on my podcast is Kelly Tennant, who graciously has agreed to be our guest today. And Kelly Tennant is the host of The Kelly Show and the CEO of Soul Fire Productions. And I have been following you, Kelly, for a while on Instagram and have been inspired and motivated by your work. And thank you for being thank here. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Yay for your new show. This is so necessary. Good job. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. And I'm sure you had a catalyst moment too for coming into this pleasure practice um, and business. And for me, the catalyst moment was facing death, facing my son's death, and then thinking about if he took his own life, would I be able to survive it? And so it took me facing the fear of death and the reality of death to finally at 50 access my desires and my pleasure. So I'm wondering what the catalyst moment was for you. Yeah. Um, it was interesting. I, I used to be a TV host and I worked in sports for 12 or 13 years. And I remember looking at myself in the mirror one day and I didn't recognize myself. And I was like, holy shit, who are you? And how did you get here? I just, I was so confused and so detached and out of my body disconnected. And I had been through quite a bit of sexual trauma and assaults in my career. And, and I was in this very toxic environment where everything was just about my value and worth being in how I looked. And if I could get the interview, which meant being nice enough to the guys, no matter what they were doing to me in order to get them to talk to me. And so I just felt like my whole world was wrapped up into this. That was my identity. And I started to question this and I started to see how ingrained I was in this matrix. And it was like, this is all that matters. And this is all that you are. And this is all you will ever be. And I was the good girl. And I did what everyone told me. And I got the big girl job and was the host for the Lakers and the Dodgers. And I was miserable and hated myself and was definitely not in a place of pleasure or connection with my body. And so I ended up leaving my career behind and I quit my job met my boyfriend shortly thereafter. We moved to Denver. And in that time started to realize that I was interested in women and started doing somatic therapy and coming back to myself and my whole life exploded. But it was really those moments of what am I doing and how did I get here? And I am not okay with this anymore. And at 27, knowing there had to be another way to live. I couldn't sustain this for the rest of my life. That's so wise and brave, so young to notice that. Did Thank you have support? You said you had found your boyfriend soon after. Did you have support at the time, family and friends to, to hold you in that space? Yeah, I mean, I had my parents. I think it was overwhelming and scary for them um, because they didn't really understand a lot of it. They knew that I wasn't happy, but my job that I was in was my mom's dream job for herself. And so she kind of like lived vicariously through me. So it was like a big deal that I was stepping away. And, you know, I, I made a lot of money and I had a lot of security and I had been doing this for a long time and that's how people knew me. And so to just decide I can't do this anymore, I did feel supported, but I don't feel like there was a lot of understanding. And I lost everyone from my sports life because I came out publicly about my sexual assault and it was with a colleague. And so everyone basically like blacklisted me. I don't talk to anyone from that life. So all these people I spent all of my time with were now gone. 
And I was stepping into, in the podcasting space and healing from chronic illness, I was stepping into personal development and alternative medicine and plant medicine and all these things, which I didn't know a lot of people in. So I was really starting from scratch in so many ways. Um, And so it definitely felt very isolating and confusing and lonely, but I knew that I would rather feel that in a new space than continue to live the way I was. I just saw that it wasn't worth it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned chronic illness. So I have to ask, is that, is that part of it? Like in the pleasure practices that you practice, is there also behind the scenes, some chronic pain with a chronic illness or have you moved through that? Yeah, I don't have any issues anymore. I've been, I've been good for about three and a half years. Um, so I remember I got sick when I was in college, when I was playing volleyball at USC, I was 19 bedridden. They didn't know what was wrong. I had mono and then it turned out they diagnosed me with fibromyalgia, which was a misdiagnosis for about 14 years. I didn't find out until I found my functional medicine doctor that I actually had Epstein-Barr and chronic fatigue and SIBO and leaky gut, as well as all of these psychosomatic experiences, right? I had trauma from sexual assaults. I was in a very toxic environment at work. I was a people pleaser, perfectionist, control freak, and I was constantly stressed out and ridden with anxiety. And so my body was just shutting down over and over again. And so when we started to address that, I realized what was going on and I started working with plant medicine and getting on the right protocol to heal my body. And within a year and a half, I was completely fine. And I haven't had a symptom since, but to your point, Yes. I was so disconnected from my body because everything hurt. I also had endometriosis. So it was really like painful in my pelvic area, having sex and, um, my whole body hurt. I was depressed. So I was not aroused or turned on. I didn't have like a really high sex drive for a long time. And I also was just sleeping with men to be their pleasure, right? I wasn't asking for what I wanted. I didn't know that you could do that. I didn't know there were lots of positions and then it was okay to like sit on top of a guy and touch yourself at the same time and to orgasm, even maybe if he doesn't come, like, I just didn't know any of that was possible. My friends didn't talk about that. And I was not raised in that environment. And so I think once I started feeling better and I started listening to podcasts like this, where women were like, this is possible for your pussy. And I was like, oh my God, tell me more. Right. It just blows your world open because you only know what you know. And so I started to see that as I was feeling better and I started to get my sex drive back and I wasn't on hormonal birth control that was making me dry and fucked up in a lot of ways. Uh There was other things possible. And that's when I started to get into the pleasure practice and realizing that connecting back into my body, creating safety within my body and touching myself and being present was okay and was possible for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, so much of what you said um, resonated so so much from the endometriosis to fibromyalgia, Epstein-Barr. I'm, I'm kind of in the middle of all that now, uh, my son and I, and it does stand in the way of mm-hmm. comfort and pleasure practices. And when I look at your Instagram feed, um, I can definitely get the sense that you're not only enjoying um, sex and intimacy with others, which is fantastic, but that you're having this beautiful love affair with yourself. And that's, that's so much a part of it. Like you're just celebrating your own sensuality, your, your solo sex, your, your own worshiping body worshiping. And, um, and I know that that's my next step of growth and expansion to be able to, um, create more space to, to do that and, um, and to move through some of the pains and discomforts, as well as the traumas and the shame points and all. Um, what do you say to somebody who's like, I just feel really disconnected and far from that, but I want it. Do you have like some top tips of where to start? Yes. Um, and I encounter this a lot because this can feel really overwhelming. I can feel like the crazy sex driven wild woman and people are like, um, yeah, so I've never had an orgasm or I don't masturbate. So what are we going to do about that? (laughs) I'm like, Yeah. I'm like, it's okay. First of all, you don't need to be like me. I understand that like what I do is definitely out there for a lot of people. For me, it feels normal, but my normal is different than your normal and someone else's normal and what feels good to them and expansive. So what I, what really helped me and what I always share with people is it starts in a non-sexual way with reconnecting to your body. So you don't go from zero to a hundred because our nervous system can't keep up with that. 
And I've done that before. And it's like, okay, this is too much. I can't sustain this. I go into panic. I have anxiety and then you don't get anything good out of it. Mm -hmm. So I think starting small is really amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, what I love to do when I first started was take baths. I realized that I didn't feel safe in my own body for a myriad of reasons. And so being in the bath is a really safe container where you're surrounded by warm water. And I like to have the lights off and light candles and play music and really create a sensual sacred experience for myself where I feel very held because especially as women, uh, we need to be held and seen and acknowledged and we're probably not getting that a lot in our own lives. And we're not creating that experience for ourselves because we're so hard on ourselves. And so in that experience, you're creating a softening and you're creating this really sacred place where you get to be on your own. And when I got into the bath, I just started touching my arms, like just running my fingers along my arms and down my legs very gently. And I started to feel my body in ways I had never felt it before. I had never taken the time to just be with myself and Oh, what do my arms feel like? What do my legs feel like? And that practice over months and months of time of just touching myself in a non-sexual way eventually led to me feeling safe enough and comfortable enough to start touching myself sexually. I was touching my nipples. I was touching my vagina. I'm touching my clit doing these things that feel really arousing, but taking it very slow and creating a very sensual experience. And so then that practice turned into a regular, uh, self-pleasure practice in the bedroom. And it became a routine for me where I felt really grounded and safe. And I knew that and I learned this in somatic therapy that if I was feeling chaotic or if I was trying to escape my head out of my head, that's what my soul wants to do. It's like when I freak out, get out, like go through my head. Anytime I was feeling that or feeling that anxiety in my chest, I would go back to my self-pleasure and that would ground me. And it wasn't even about having an orgasm, but it was getting back rooted into the feminine, into that touch. Because when that is your generator and your source of desire and decision and comfort and all of those things, then you are in your feminine. That is your knowing. And it takes you out of your head and out of that anxiety and back into your body so that you can make decisions from a place of feeling. And so I just created that over and over again. And I made that such a big part of my experience so that then I was able to take that next step, which looked like asking for what I want and trying new things in bed. And then, as you know, verbalizing desire, talking about other women with my boyfriend during our sexual experiences. And yeah, that's really scary. But when you take small steps and you can create safety and sacredness in your own experience, it rewires your brain and your body to understand that this is safe. I can take that step and I trust myself to know that I can express my desire physically, verbally, whatever that is. And I think that that's really important to kind of lead up to that. Yes. So many women I talk to, and most of the people I talk to are, are midlife women who are right now in the midst of you know, homeschooling and taking care of uh, kids and perhaps parents, hard to find space and privacy in the home and really hard to have these more expansive conversations about wanting to bring another woman into the bedroom in fantasy or in reality. And then you throw COVID into it. So you probably get this question all the time, but if you were to want to expand to a threesome or bring another person to your sex life in a safe way, how do you even go about doing that? But logistically, <laughs> like, where do you find this person. Yes. These little unicorn fairies. I like <laughs> the unicorn fairies. Yeah. Um, the girl that we are dating right now, um, uh, we call her Roxanne. That's not her real name, but she's tiny. And so she really is like a little fairy. <laughs> I'm six one. So she just feels so small to me. Um, this is a great question. I'm not going to pretend like I know what it's like to have children and be in a pandemic. I don't have kids. I have two dogs and that feels like a lot to me. And I, Sometimes my boyfriend plays Xbox and feels like he's seven. So there's that. I'm pretty sure most of the women who have men in their lives can resonate. So I understand that experience, but I'm not going to pretend like I have a toddler running around and I'm having threesomes every day. So I will just speak from my experience. Um, I think that it is, it is an intention to create this in your life, just like anything else. Do you go to the gym? Do you take showers? Do you read? Do you go for walks? Like, what is it that's important to your life that you make space for? That is how I feel about threesomes. 
and just sex in general. It's really important to me. It is a driving force in my life. It is an expander for me. I find myself more and more, the more that I have these experiences. And so it is a priority. Mm -hmm. So some things are taken off the table in order to have that as a priority in my life. So that's where I will start. If it matters to you and you want to do it, make the space for it and creating, you can find an excuse for literally anything, right? You can, but do you want it? Then don't make an excuse. That's where I stand. So I think that's part one. Part two, logistically, how do you find someone who wants to experience this? We use Bumble. Um, we have had some pretty, I won't call it success. That feels weird to me, but we've had some great matches and women that we've connected with over Bumble. Um, the girl that we're dating now, we found through Bumble. She happened to live two blocks away. And she's also been a listener of my show for over a year. So it was such a small world the way it all happened, but that also allowed to, it to be very safe and connected. And it moved a lot faster because of that. Yes. Um, but we've also hooked up with friends or people that we've known, um, people that we know through other friends that, I mean, Connor and I are very open and public about our relationship and what we do. So that provides a dynamic where people kind of know what they're walking into, or if they're interested in it, that they can express that to us and they feel safe to do that. And I know that's not everyone's shtick. That's like my job, right? It's to share my sex life is what it feels like. Um, but I think that being open to exploring with friends, especially as women can be really helpful because you have that bond. It's like the sister bond, right? And maybe you're curious about it and you have a girlfriend who's curious about it and that feels safe. And if you have a transparent, open, communicative conversation and relationship with that person, I don't, I think one of the biggest fears people have is like, oh, well, if I hook up with my friend or if I invite my friend in to be with my husband and I, then it's going to ruin our relationship. Well, yeah, it totally can, but be a goddamn adult about it and just be transparent. Like, Hey, we all want to try this thing. We don't have a lot of options. Like you said, you're in Maine, right? It's not like Denver or LA where everyone's fluid and just fucking everybody. This is different. You probably live like more in a cul-de-sac with like normal people that may not participate in this. Is she going to call me now? I just hear them. <laughs> yeah. And so I think that if you handle this in a way that is transparent and open and like, Hey, we're going to try this thing. And these are all everyone's boundaries and let's just be open and honest and curious. Then I think you can have that dynamic where you do have sex with people or you have these encounters with them. And then you continue to be friends. We're friends with everyone we've ever hooked up with and we're closer to them because it is a really intimate experience and it's fun and everyone gets what they need out of it. So I think being open to sharing what you want with people in your life, maybe there's someone that you know you would like to do this with and see where they are. And then also don't be offended if they're like, no, I'm not into that. So what? That's fine. You don't need to feel rejected. Bumble, again, great place. And my advice on Bumble is to just be really transparent about what you're looking for. So we always put pictures of both of us and both of our names on our account so that someone knows what they're going into. We see a lot of people post and it's like just the picture of the woman. And so, you know, someone swipes on the woman and then, you know, seven pictures down, it's like pictures of a couple and it's like, okay, that's shady, right? I don't want to think I'm connecting with a woman when in reality, you want me to be your third. People don't like that. And that's not fair. So in our profile, it's basically like, this is what we're into, something light and fun, looking for a third, things along those lines. And then it's our pictures. So people know exactly what they're walking into. And then when we talk to people um, over Bumble or anything like that, we're just honest about what we're looking for. We talk about how we treat people, what's important to us, what our boundaries are. We ask them all of the same questions. And we're just in a dialogue about it. And oftentimes I will go and get coffee or go for a walk with the girl by myself. Mm -hmm. I highly recommend this because, um, look, guys are just going to be more open. Like that's just what it is. And women are going to have more boundaries. We're usually the ones in control as the partner, like leading the way. And it's important for you to get on the same page with that woman that you're inviting in so that everyone feels safe and connected and taken care of. No one wants to be treated like a piece of meat unless they specifically ask for it. Maybe that's a kink they have, but people want to feel respected and not like they're used. So 
being able to get all of that out before the three of us hang out really allows for me to build trust with that woman, her to build trust with me. We know like what we're going to do if something feels uncomfortable or any conversations, it's all out on the table. There's nothing left unsaid so that when you do, when you do get into the fun dynamic, you're not like, okay, well let's stop and have a hard conversation. Yeah. Like sometimes that happens, but for the most part, it's like, okay, cool. We've established a foundation and understanding, and now we can just have fun and be in the present moment together. Um, so those are some of my like top tips. Really good. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Fantastic. Because I think the limiting belief is who's going to want to be a third in a, in a marriage, who's going to be okay with the fact that we've been married for a decade or more, or that we have children, or who's going to be okay with the fact that we're older, like, you know, the, the limiting beliefs that there's nobody out there who would be willing. Yeah. And by the way, threesomes are the number one search for porn. Um, and people really want to experience them. They may not be publicly admitting it, but I can't tell you the amount of private DMs that I get, especially from women who want to know more about this because they're curious and they just don't know how to go about it. But this is a really, really big fantasy for a lot of people, but there's not enough safe places to engage and people don't even know where to begin. So before you start thinking, I'm crazy, who the fuck would want to do this? Just remember, most people probably want to do it. (laughs) (laughs) And so let's talk about jealousy, compersion, desire, how that all works into the fun. What's jealousy? I don't know what that is. Yeah, I figured you <laughs> I figured you'd have an opinion about jealousy. Do you um, use compersion? Do you use that word? Um, I don't use it like talking about it, but yes, yeah, I yeah. yes, compersion, amazing. Definitely learning more about that. Um so I've been a really jealous person my whole life. Like okay. it's extremely jealous, very competitive. I want to be the one. I want to be the most important. Choose me. I'm the best period. So wanting to have a third in any shape or form, like right now we're in a relationship with someone, but even if it's just a one time, two time thing, it's a lot for me. Mm. It has been a lot for me. I will say that is really transforming right now. So how I handle jealousy is just asking myself what's coming up for me. And I believe I'm a really self-aware person. So I've done this so many times that it becomes very natural for me to look at something almost from a bird's eye view and see the situation happening. I'm like, okay, why does this bother me right now? Mm. So when Connor and I first started doing this, he wasn't allowed to do anything. He couldn't kiss anyone. He couldn't fuck anyone. He couldn't like nothing. He could go down on somebody. They could go down on him. And that was pretty much it. Anything else, I would have a panic attack. I, on the other hand, was allowed to do whatever I wanted. And Spouse said, that was fine. I'm like, this is great setup. You don't do anything. I do everything. Everyone's happy. And he's like, yeah, that doesn't work for me. Great. So I really had to check myself and say, why do I feel so jealous? What is bothering me here? And it wasn't actually about the sex of it all, the kissing, the sex, the penetration, any of it. I have a deep abandonment wound. And so I believe that if he creates any sort of intimacy with anyone else, that he will leave me. And so I let that dictate every decision I was making. And so every time something happened, I would go back to, he's going to leave me. She's better than you. He's going to like fucking her more. And this is going to ruin you. Mm -hmm. And that narrative over and over for the last year and a half was driving me. And so when we met Roxanne and started dating her, It felt very safe and I felt very connected to her. And so it really allowed me to look at this in a different way and say, okay, you have this beautiful connection with this woman. What's wrong with Connor having this beautiful connection with her? And why does it mean that if he cares about her or is intimate with her, that you have less? Because what I see is that my connection with her and the fact that I get to go and have sex with her by myself or just spend time with her alone doesn't take away from my relationship with Connor. It actually makes it better. I feel more fulfilled. I feel like I'm filling my cup with someone else who gives me things that Connor doesn't, right? I don't want him to be my everything. And so when I look at, look at it from that perspective, I think, okay, well, why is it that if he can hang out with her or be with her, that it has to take away from me? Cause I'm not having that experience. So I see that, and then I'm able to see that 
their intimacy is actually a huge turn on for me. Mm-hmm. And usually like that's what happens. Or can he yes. go off and by himself? Okay. No, that's a hard boundary for us. Um, but when I'm there and I'm very turned on by it, it makes sense because oftentimes our deepest fears and our deepest wounds are actually the catalyst for our deepest desires and the things we want the most. You know that. So I didn't know that before. And so it's really been allowing myself to explore that, to feel what I want to feel. And anytime I feel that jealousy coming up, just asking myself and showing myself grace, like what's coming up for you? What do you need right now? Sometimes that means I just need Connor to hold me and just remind me like, you're with me. I feel you. Okay, good. Um, other times it requires a conversation. Sometimes we've taken it too far. I remember this one instance where she was sitting on top of him and they were in this chair and I couldn't see his face and I couldn't see her face. And I felt very left out. And so after that night was over, we all laid there and had a conversation. I was like, that was too much for me. I, I can't handle that right now, maybe down the line, but I felt very left out and like, I wasn't participating and it really like hurt my feelings. And so we all just had a conversation and then we made a conscious effort that they're never both looking away from me at the same time. And I'm able to like make eye contact with someone or she's holding my hand or something of that nature so that we all feel connected. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that helps me feel like I'm not being left out. And so then I get to retrain my brain of you're not being abandoned. He loves you. Nothing in your relationship has changed. You just get to have this other dynamic. So that's kind of how I've handled it. Trust me. I've had meltdowns. I have yelled at him. We have had blowout fights. It has been ugly, but it always ends up with me realizing it all comes back to being abandoned and that I don't need to fear that he could leave me anytime, whether we did this or not. So it's really about me addressing my own pain points and my needs. Do you have uh, signals or code words or you just like, ho, 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 stop here and start talking in the middle of it even? How do yeah. you deal with that if something comes up? Yeah. So we've, we, um, I've never used like a a safe word or anything like that, but I have, um, like I've grabbed him by the arm and I just look at him and he knows like, okay, I need to get off of her or something needs to change about this. And a couple of times. So what we've learned is that you don't make decisions in the moment. So if you have boundaries and you talk about them before you don't change your boundaries during sex, like that is a no go. Well, I did change boundaries during sex. And it was a big boundary that I had and she stopped us. She got off and was like, no, we're talking about this. And so we full on stopped everything and talked about it because she was advocating for my boundary because I had been so clear about it. And she was like, Kelly, you said that you're not okay with this. You've told me over and over, we need to talk about this before we make this decision. And so we talked about it and then we went forward and like, quote unquote, broke the boundary and it all went really well. Mm. Now that's not to say that it could have gone poorly, right? Like that could happen, but it did go well, but I think it went well because I trusted her even more because she stopped the thing and was advocating for me. And I was like, fuck, I love you. Thank you for being my best friend right now. That's such a beautiful friendship right there Yeah, (laughs) for you and that she listened so actively to your, to your boundaries and your needs. Does she have a primary relationship outside of this triad? I'm just curious how that Works. No. Yeah. We were, we were joking. I said on, on uh okay, babe this week that we're in a monogamous triad, um, which is so funny. I was like, right. what the fuck am I even doing with my life? Um, no, she is not dating anyone. She hasn't dated s- someone in a while. And this, so she got into questioning her sexuality because of my podcast, which is so funny. So this is the first time she's ever done anything like this. I'm the first woman she's been with. This is her first threesome. She's like in a full on relationship with us. So that's really hilarious. Okay, and- she kind of locked out. I'm just saying. <laughs> Seriously. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I mean, we lucked out for sure. It's, it's all, it's all perfect. Um, but we've talked about it. Like she doesn't have a desire to date anyone right now. She really is enjoying this. She's very in very in a self-exploration mode. Um, and like, we love her and she loves us and we want to be friends with her forever. And it just feels really good. Like we just adore her so much. And so 
we know, I mean, I always tell her, I'm like, this is going to end when you decide that you want to go date and like find your man and do the thing. And, and that's beautiful. And we're all, you know, aware of that and it's, it's all great. But I think right now it just feels like this beautiful experience that we're all having and we don't want to miss out on it. And, you know, COVID's kind of great for this because dating is really hard in general. So it's like, we have this experience and it's great and we're having amazing sex and we hang out and we do really fun things together. And so it's easy and connected and yeah. So. And so what's still scary for you? Cause I, I watch your videos and I see your photographs and they're all gorgeous and, and revealing and sensual and empowering and feel very um, safe too, which I, which I really appreciate. I don't normally have that response. Like I had an instant yeah. trust in, in you throughout these, um, throughout my last, you know, my research, my research, <laughs> <laughs> your Instagram stalking, <laughs> my Instagram stalk. you were actually recommended to me from a friend, um, who he's in his midlife. And I was like, oh, I bet you want me to connect with her. But you know, it's like, is he like, no, 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 she's really a good person. I'm like, oh, I'm listening to my own, um, limiting beliefs about what somebody would be like, who could post such revealing photos. And yeah. I'm like, I would never do that. I say this in my head, you know, but that's really not so much that I would never do it. Cause I think it's inappropriate. It's because of my own body shame and some, you know, scars that I'm embarrassed about. So the, the jealousy and the thinking I'm so different is really my desire to embrace my own sexuality and sensuality and, and embrace my body, no matter what it, has evolved into girl. I always say I became the woman I judged so harshly. Mm. Like I became her. And I think that is hilarious because I thought that like, this was for women who did Molly and went to burning man and were like fairies who just flitted around and had no worries in life. And I am the freaking co-founder and CEO of a very successful media company. I have a really successful podcast. I'm in a heteronormative relationship and we have a house together and a company together and two dogs. And we're going through IVF process right now. Like I'm not that person. I thought that this was for, but I, I became her. I became mm -hmm. the woman who is free and expressed and open and shares her desires and is curious and adventurous. And I also get to like be a dog mom and be a partner and like yeah, have yeah. fights with my boyfriend. And it's so funny the way we, we project our fears and make up these stories about who it's for. And I think that's why people are interested in me to be honest is because they see me as like a quote unquote normal woman. And then all of a sudden I'm like, yeah, I have threesomes every week and I'm dating a girl and I, you know, I love going down on women or whatever it is. And they're like, wait a second, you can have both. What does that mean? It's that's, it's always polarizing in black or white. I'm this person or I'm this person. And I'm over here like, okay, I'm both. And now people are saying, oh, it's possible. Yeah. That's yeah. the difference. Yeah. And you said you were in a heteronormative relationship and I'm like, wait a minute, is that, is that how it's defined? Cause I thought if I started having threesomes or exploring, then that means I'm all of a sudden not in a heteronormative relationship. Now I'm in a polyamorous relationship. Like how do you define that? We don't. Interesting. That's yeah. So Connor and I agreed when we first started dating that we didn't believe in labels. Like we say boyfriend, girlfriend, when we get married, we'll say husband, wife, but we don't say like we're poly. Um, the best way we describe it is we're monogamish. Um, but we just don't like labels because our, our beliefs change all the time. If you had told me that I was going to be in a relationship with a girl, with my boyfriend a year ago, I would have laughed in your face because that was an absolute no-go for me. This was never a possibility for me. And now Connor jokes, he's like, you're the one forcing me to do this. <laughs> like, so sorry. Um, but I'm really like the driving force of it all. And I love it. And it feels really good. And so if I say, okay, we are this, and then a week later it changes. And I'm like, well, we are this, what does that even mean? And that's my whole thing is about loosening the reins, thinking outside the box and not restricting myself. Yeah. So yeah. if I keep trying to label everything, then I'm just restricting myself again. And yeah, so yeah. I feel even calling saying I'm bisexual. I don't even know that that really like lands with me. Mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. feel like I'm curious and open, but I don't know. I don't want to be in a relationship with a woman at this point. 
I mean, mm-hmm. talk to me in five years, who knows, but that's how I feel. And so I just don't believe in limiting ourselves with labels because it just feels restrictive. And it feels like I went from one thing of being defined to another, and this is my new identity. And that just, it doesn't feel right. Wow. Yeah. That feels really good to me. Um, in, in my book, my next husband will be a lesbian. Of course, the question was, well, now do you identify as lesbian? I'm like, no, like, do you identify as bi? I'm like, not, I maybe, maybe fluid, maybe curious, maybe questioning, maybe nothing, maybe queer today, maybe straight tomorrow. I don't, I'm, I'm a mom. (laughs) I'm, I love my work. I just start going off and I'm just like, I don't know. I don't identify as anything. So I think I wrote, I identify as a paradox because it just feels like all of it in one moment, the pleasure and the pain, the sadness and the joy, the wanting sex and wanting nobody to touch me ever again mm-hmm. in the same breath, in the same thought sometimes. Well, and don't you feel like defining things or having a title for something is really just to make people more comfortable. Like they need to be able to understand it. So we have to give it a definition. And I'm like, well, this is just what we do. And this is what I like. I don't know what to tell you. And then they just sit there with their jaws dropped and eyes wide open. Like, wait, what? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, like this is what, this is what it is. I'm sorry if that makes you uncomfortable, but my job is not to make you comfortable. Ain't that the truth? Yes. And when you say you've been a a good girl for long enough, following the rules and being shit on all of our lives, it's like, oh goodness, sooner or later, we feel this need to break free and to, I, I like, as soon as those floodgates open, I felt untamed, unfiltered, unhinged. And really like, I feel like nothing scares me anymore, which is not true because I still fear my son dying, but I don't fear having hard conversations. I don't fear asking for what I want or losing people because of what I want. So it's an interesting and freeing fierceness that, that happens. Yeah. And you asked me before I didn't answer this. Sorry. You asked me what I'm scared of and avoided that one. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Right. Um, I had this interesting experience this weekend, actually. Um, so I had this really deep fear of Connor being intimate with Roxanne in a way that made me feel abandoned. And I was laying next to them and he was on top of her and she was touching me and he was being extremely intimate in a way that, you know, when there's a difference between you're having sex and you're fucking and lovemaking. Like it was definitely in the lovemaking category where he it felt very sensual and connected. And it was all these things that I was so scared of. And then all of a sudden I realized I was extremely turned on by it. And so I was begging him to keep going. Mm-hmm. And I was like, and I knew what I was doing. And I was like, but this feels awesome. And I'm just going to allow it. And so it kept going, it kept going. And eventually I had an orgasm that was absurd and so powerful because I let myself transform my biggest fear into my deepest pleasure. That's liberating. So liberating. But the funny thing that happened, so this is where my head has been. It's, it's expected and normal for me to freak out about this dynamic because it is so outside the norm. And I don't know a lot of people that do it. I mean, I read books and listen to podcasts, but none of my friends are doing this. (laughs) And so it feels like very isolating and I'm like the weird, crazy one. And so it's normal for us to freak out about that. But on Sunday I felt so good. And I had no qualms about what happened on Saturday night that I started to freak out because I wasn't freaking out. I was like, what is wrong with me that I am not upset about this experience I had? What is wrong with me that I loved that that much? Mm. So that's the thing that like flipped me upside down. So I don't even know that that answers your question, but that's what's prevalent for me right now is like, if, if I'm not freaking out about the scenario, then I'm freaking out that I'm freaking out. And then I realized that I don't even need to panic and that everything's okay which is like another problem. I'm, I have a fear of things being okay and good and happiness and allowing that. That's the scariest thing sometimes in the most vulnerable is when life is going well and your dreams are coming true and you're feeling enormous pleasure. Like what, when's the ball going to drop? What's when's something bad going to happen? And it's like, it's too good. It's too good. And that's scary. It's scary and raw. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
So do you, were you worried that you might be coming desensitized to it? Or were you worried that it was getting too good and there's just sometimes too much pleasure? Like when pleasure overflows, sometimes it feels overstimulating. Did it feel like that at all? No, it was just like, I have everything I want and I feel so good. Like what's wrong? Like, I remember a couple of weeks ago, I had this same experience where everything was good. And I don't know if you've ever had this, but I had what felt like an out-of-body experience where I was looking at myself and I was physically digging for something to find wrong. I was like, look over here. Okay. Nothing's wrong here. Okay. Look over here. Okay. Find something wrong. Okay. I can't find anything wrong. Okay. What's wrong? Like something's wrong because I can't find anything wrong. And I've always found things to harp on and pick on and nothing's ever good enough. And I have to try harder and work harder. And even when I reach this pinnacle, I got to go for the next one. It was like, can you be happy in this and allow yourself to be happy and not dig for shit to be wrong because nothing is wrong. And that is beautiful, but that is not what we're taught. No, we don't celebrate nor savor nor integrate our experiences. We just move on. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a beautiful experience that you had. It sounds really shifting, like life shifting for you that you move through your greatest fear and that it felt safe and pleasurable. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. Mm -hmm. And so does it, did it change your interactions with, with Connor since then? It's only been a few days. I know, but I mean, have things felt different, safer in some way? Yeah, because what I noticed is that I have been really, so I went through a lot with my family last year. So I've been like in a constant state of trauma for the last year. My mom died, our puppy was killed in an accident, and then I lost my relationship with my dad. And so I have been on high alert survival mode for a year. And so when the thing with my dad happened in December, I just immediately started to feel abandoned. And so my attachment went super into anxiety. And so I was latching on him so codependent and I, I knew I was doing it, but I was so scared and just trying to survive that it just like, I let it happen. And so this weekend, what I saw was that I could let go and that I was safe. Like I had repatterned it that I had stepped out of that survival mode and that I had created the safety for myself so that I no longer needed to have, you know, white knuckle grip on him, like a fucking monkey on his back, like make me okay, make it better, fix me, save me. And I like released that. And what I found is that our dynamic is so much lighter and easier because he, I'm sure he didn't say this because he's so sweet, but I'm sure he felt like I was fucking suffocating him and drowning him in all of my anxiety and fear. And also that's not sexy. I didn't feel sexy. He wasn't feeling like as attracted. It was like this awkward tension and emotion between us because I couldn't let go. And you know, when you don't have the room to breathe, what, what is left for desire, right? When you're just on top of one another in panic. And so I just saw myself almost like release my grip on him and become my own person again Mm. and not have that fear be my driving force and the energy that is surrounding me. And everything has been so much lighter and just easier. And I don't, I don't need him to fix me or complete complete me because I feel safe and whole again. Yeah. And even though it must've been so painful losing your mom and your puppy and the relationship with your father, those, mo- it sounds like to get to the point where you're right now being able to let go of this fear of abandonment, you, that you had to lose people and that that was part of the, the catalyst to this growth. Yeah. And isn't that so fucked up? Well, it's like, it's, it's brutal. It's, it's, it's like, yeah, it's brutal. Exactly. I never thought I hadn't really experienced loss or tragedy in that way. And so I didn't really understand that type of pain. And I don't, no one does until you go through something like that. But I remember the feeling of having to let go because mm-hmm. my mom died in six months of cancer. And then our puppy was hit by a car And so you don't, you don't really get to prepare for those things. And so my idea of control and the need to surrender was so powerful because I just thought these are the worst things that could possibly happen. These are people's worst nightmares, including mine. And this feeling is gut wrenching and the most horrific I've ever felt. 
And I keep thinking that, well, if I do this and I show up like this and I try here and blah, 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 and I accomplish all these things that I will have some control over my life. No, I was doing all the right things and this stuff still happened. I don't have control over it. And it taught me a level of surrender and letting go that I had never accessed. And I think that is exactly what I needed in order to be this version of myself. And I talk a lot about your capacity, like my capacity to feel pleasure and joy grew immensely because my capacity to be in grief and sadness and loss grew immensely. You don't have one without the other. We can't know immense joy and pleasure without knowing that deep pain, which I'm sure you know so well. It's like that your capacity to hold for all of that, for yourself, your clients, all of that is so big when you allow yourself to go there. Yes. And it's interesting to witness ourselves in our deepest moments of grief, feel this surrender to, I I have no control. And so I might as well access pleasure and for me, laughter too. I thought this is bizarre. And yet it made complete sense to me, an intuitive gut level, that that's what I needed to do to continue to survive and heal and help hold space for others. Um, And were you able to quickly access pleasure after losing your mom and your puppy? Like, were you able to then still feel sensual and sexy? Or was there, was there a lot of, I'm just figuring for myself, there must, there would be a lot of time in between before I wanted to get naked and self-worship again. Was there? Um, I would say there was about six months where I was not in any sort of pleasure practice. I didn't care about sex. Um, yeah, we weren't having much sex, especially after our puppy died. My boyfriend was just so broken, like on the floor shattered and went through a lot of depression, um, and anxiety afterwards. And so we both were just not in a good place. And that was also okay because we were showing up for each other in other ways. And I knew that it would come back. It just didn't feel like something I needed to force. It was like, when you feel safe again, and we, when you are reconnected to your body, you will create the space for this to be a possibility and experience. And it did. And we, we were like, okay, like it's time to open up again and like, see what we want to do and let's have a conversation and let's be sexy. And, um, but yeah, it definitely took time. Yeah. And it sounds like you have such a beautiful synchronistic relationship where, I mean, cause it could have been very likely that for one of you, you felt ready and safe. And then the other one might've needed another year of grieving and, and didn't want to be touched or sexual at all. So it sounds like you have a, a beautiful um, relationship where you're similar in that. Thank you. Timing. It's very fortunate. Yes. It feels so expansive and, and juicy. And it's so funny because of course, a year or two, I, well, I just wouldn't have dared uh, have this conversation <laughs> because who could be listening or how, how, or even like, oh, how dare you even have these thoughts and desires. Um, but I think what we're touching upon today is that, you know, it's, it's for, it's for us. Life is, um, given to us as a, as a gift and innate state is joy and pleasure and laughter and that we have to get really scrappy and, and dig and dig for that when we're not accessing it and, and find it and value it. I follow uh, the work of Mama Gina school for womanly. Arts. Do you have a person that you really love? She wrote pussy, a reclamation. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And, uh, Actually, Elizabeth, it seems so simple, but um, Elizabeth Gilbert, you know, who wrote uh, E-Pay yes. Love, she did one podcast episode, I think changed me. It just shook me at the right time, which was something, it's called something like Dirty, Nasty. I don't know what it was, but I listened and it's about having a love affair with yourself and being your own French lover and buying the damn bread that you would buy for your best friend and giving yourself a bubble bath and taking yourself to a hotel room and having sex with yourself. Um, and it really reminded me of, of pleasure practices that I had long forgotten, but who do you follow? Who's your pleasure role model? Yeah, that's a good question. I'll say when I first started questioning things, Glennon Doyle was a huge catalyst for me. Um, I just like fucking devoured her books and everything she talked about because she gives women permission to be themselves and to think outside the box and to take big risks and leaps of faith. And her family is so unconventional and it's so beautiful. And she shares it in such a raw way. It gives us an idea of what's possible. Um, so she was a huge catalyst for me. And then, um, there's this woman, Lorraine, who her Instagram is slutty girl problems. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and she has been also another catalyst for me because she talks a lot about poly and, um, just sexuality in general, connecting to your body. She's destigmatizing the use of self-pleasure and sex toys and being a sexual erotic woman and like play parties. She hosts play parties on zoom, all these different things. And she's just so cool and grounded. And I, I have felt so connected to her. And then there's another account. Um, uh, this woman's name is Sam and it's, um, shrimp teeth. And she is a sex educator, um, very much for ethical non-monogamy and polyamory. And she coaches couples and individuals. I had a coaching call with her, which really helped me, um, just understand a lot of my fears and insecurities. This was probably, I think it was last summer and I was just so overwhelmed and she really helped ask me questions that allowed me to do more self-discovery and excavation of myself, not even about my partner or anyone else, just what is it that I want and how can I be open and honest with myself and my experience? Um, so I love, I love them for the educational aspect. And then, um, our somatic therapists have been huge, huge conduits in our lives, Jonathan and Heike Hudson. Um, we spent about six months with them. We did in person and over the phone and, they are also uh, big proponents of ethical, ethical non-monogamy and monogamish relationships. And I've learned so much from them and just in the processing and the body awareness and the feeling into what's possible uh, and understanding my sexuality and my attraction to women. It's just been, it's been amazing. So yeah, those are my cool. people. And I want to give them um, credit because your mic went out a little bit on, on Jonathan's last name. What was the last oh, yeah, name? Jonathan and Heike Hudson. Hudson. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I wanted to make sure. Great. Oh, well, lots of brief, lots of good resources there. And then following your Instagram is again, it's, it's pleasurable, um, and empowering. Uh, I, I just love it. You call it a juicy intersection, spiritual and sexual liberation, helping women break free from toxic lies and rules. And that just speaks right to the, the core of the work that I'm doing and, and my own, my own journey. So it's, it's inspiring. Oh, thank you so much, Pasha. I love talking to you. This has been so fun. Thank you. Do you like people reaching out to you through Instagram messenger or what's the best way to reach you? Yes. I slide into my DMS. I'm very active as you know. (laughs) Okay, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Um, my Instagram is Kelly M tenant. Um, and then the show Instagram is the Kelly show. So yeah, whatever you guys need, I'm happy to help. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I'm going to steal that. You could just slide into my DMs too mm-hmm. on Instagram. <laughs> I usually talk about like you could email me, but wow, that sounds much better. Um, <laughs> or you could email me for those like, I'm not ready to slide into your DM. You can email yes. me at Pasha at PashaMarlo.com. Um, but I'd be thrilled to continue this conversation with any listeners out there. And please reach out to Kelly. You're such a dear and you're so sweet to um, generously support um, a tiny podcast, um, which An is important podcast that is yes. fucking changing people's lives. So yes, I am more than happy to be here with you. I'm so Yay. proud of you. Thank you so much, Kelly. I hope to continue to connect with you. Yes, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Bye.